the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. In other words, he says to Ahaz, really Ahaz, I'm all you've got. And if you don't stand firm in your faith about me and what I can do for you, then you won't stand at all. And that's a great verse for us to remember, isn't it? Because there are times we have to remember that sometimes faith in God is all we've got. I mean, when this life becomes unpredictable and people and circumstances become unreliable, sometimes all we have is faith in God. And if you don't stand firm in your faith with Him, then we can't stand at all. Isn't that so true for us today? Especially over the last few years, we've seen that anything can happen. The government isn't reliable. Our health isn't reliable. The economy isn't reliable. The only one that we can really trust in is God. In today's message, as Pastor Gary continues teaching through the book of Isaiah, we see that God reaches out to King Ahaz so that he would trust in him. King Ahaz was faced with a situation where he had to choose between trusting in the Lord or in his own resources. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah chapter 7 as he begins his message, Mission Messiah, Jesus is Born. All right, if you'll go to Isaiah, we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapters 7 and 9. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7 first, and then we'll also take a glance at chapter 9 as well. We're making a journey through the Bible from cover to cover. That's what we do here at Cornerstone from Genesis to Revelation. And so we come now to the book of Isaiah, and uh, we're going to start here in chapter 7, and then, as I said, make our way also and read a couple of verses from chapter 9. Isaiah 7, verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ahaz is the king of Judah at this time, ask the Lord your God for a sign whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. And then Isaiah, the prophet, said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now jump to chapter 9, if you would, please. In chapter 9, verse 1, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. People walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, 
a light has dawned. Jump down to verse 6. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. These verses are commonly read at Christmas time. In fact, some of these verses actually adorn our Christmas cards, and for good reason. Because 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah writes these things, prophesying about Messiah who is to come, which, by the way, of course, was fulfilled in Jesus. There are more than 300 prophecies of the Old Testament that spoke of, that foretold the first coming of Messiah. More than 300 And all of them were fulfilled in and by Jesus. Now, Dr. Peter Stoner, who was the professor of science at Westmont College and the professor of mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena City College, before he died in 1980, he wrote a book called Science Speaks. And in the book, he mathematically calculated the odds that a single person could possibly fulfill all 300 prophecies as Jesus did. So what he did was he narrowed it down. He said, how about we take just four dozen of them, 48? What would be the odds that a single person could fulfill just 48 of the more than 300 prophecies of the Old Testament related to the first coming of Christ? And he calculated it would be one in 10 to the 157th power. In other words, as Dr. Gary Hamrick says, it ain't no coincidence. (laughs) I don't have a doctorate. The only degrees I have really is 98.6. But anyway, (laughs) here we have two of the most incredible prophecies related to the birth of Jesus Christ. And so the question becomes, one, what do they tell us? And two, why this particular time, 700 years before the birth of Christ, at this moment in history, why would God choose through Isaiah to reveal these prophecies and to a particular person in general. So we're going to look at those two questions and we're going to answer that in today's study that I've entitled, It Ain't No Coincidence. (laughs) I'm not really entitling it that. I'm titling it something better than that. Mission Messiah, Jesus is born. Let's pray. Lord, as we open up here to the book of Isaiah, we just thank you for these prophecies about Christ. And we ask now that you would just speak to our hearts, Lord. And as we consider how you so love the world that you gave your son. It's amazing to us that you had each of us in mind. And so you tell the world in advance about the greatest gift that is coming and now has come and shall come again. And so as we read through Isaiah today, we pray that our hearts would be stirred about how you prophetically spoke of these things and how you were true to your word about the Savior, Messiah, who would come for the sins of the world and die for us and give us hope and new life through faith in Him. So we're humbled now as we look at these passages together. We just love you and praise you together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. In order to appreciate these two great prophecies related to the birth of the Messiah, you need to go and get a little context with me. So please turn back to chapter 7. And uh, we're going to start there in chapter 7, then come back to chapter 9. And remember the historical context here as we've been sharing the past couple of weeks. 
150 years before Isaiah was born, the nation of Israel went through a civil war. As a result, the nation was divided north and south. The majority of the Jewish people were a part of the northern territory known by the larger name Israel. Samaria was their capital. But there were a few tribes to the south known by one of the smaller tribes, Judah, and the capital city of Judah was Jerusalem. Each territory had its own king. There was a king to the north in Israel. There was a king to the south in Judah. And Isaiah the prophet is called by God, 740 BC, to minister and prophesy and speak to the southern kingdom of Judah. Now the king of Judah at this particular time, we read his name there in chapter 7 verse 10, is Ahaz. Ahaz is king of Judah at this particular time. I'll have more to say about him near the end of the Bible study. But for the moment, he's the king, Ahaz, and Isaiah has come here to minister to him because what I didn't read in the first part of chapter 7 tells us this, that the northern kingdom of Israel joined forces with the kingdom of Syria, same Syria today, Damascus as capital, to advance south and to attack the southern kingdom of Judah. And so the northern kingdom of Israel, the the king of Israel, joined forces with the king of Syria. Together, they come to attack the southern kingdom of Judah. And Ahaz, when he gets wind of this, and the people with him of Judah are understandably terrified. In fact, in chapter 7, verse 2, it says, they trembled like the trees of the forest being shaken by the wind. So they're completely beside themselves with fear because of this imminent threat. And so God says to Isaiah, the prophet, I want you to go to King Ahaz. I want you to comfort him. I want you to encourage him. I want you to to speak to him Bob Marley style. Okay, you go to him and you you tell him, everything going to be all right, man. Because Isaiah's from Jamaica. I don't know if you knew that. But anyway, so, this, so God's saying, you go and you encourage him. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. In fact, look at your Bibles here, chapter 7, verse 4. He says to King Ahaz, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. That's what God calls the king of Israel of the north and the king of Syria. Two smoldering stubs of firewood. But God says, don't worry, Ahaz, these two guys are just like two sticks that, you know, are just embers now. They're just, you know, all smoke, no fire, no problem. And God adds in verse 7, it will not take place. It will not happen. All right, translation, God says, I got this, Ahaz. Don't worry. Be careful. Don't be afraid. Everything's going to be okay. And then God concludes by saying in the end of verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. In other words, he says to Ahaz, really, Ahaz, I'm all you've got. And if you don't stand firm in your faith about me and what I can do for you, then you won't stand at all. And that's a great verse for us to remember, isn't it? Because there are times we have to remember that sometimes faith in God is all we've got. I mean, when this life becomes unpredictable and people and circumstances become unreliable, sometimes all we have is faith in God. And if you don't stand firm in your faith with him, then we can't stand at all. So God says this to Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah, and God just wants to encourage this king not to fear the threats of these kings. But God doesn't stop there. And in verse 11, we read it a moment ago, God even tells Ahaz, 
to ask me, God says, ask me for a sign. You want to know that I'm going to intervene for you, that I'm going to help you, and I'm going to be powerful on your behalf? Go ahead. Ask me for a sign. This is what God says to him. He invites him. Ask me for a sign. Now, normally, normally it's not right for us to ask God for a sign. So resist that temptation. Okay, I, I knew a lady years ago, doesn't go the cornerstone, but she said to me one time, Pastor Gary, do you think it's wrong that I try to discern the will of God through a sign by rolling dice? <laughs> what? She's like, yeah, when, when I'm trying to make a decision, I don't know what it, the answer should be. I feel like maybe God can show me a sign through dice, so I'll like think of a number and then I'll roll it, and if that number shows up, then I think the answer is yes. I said, ma'am, I don't think God rolls Vegas style, you know? And but besides, there's a reason why that game is called craps. Do you know what I'm saying to you? Don't, don't roll dice, pray, pray. Jesus even said in Matthew 16, verse 4, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. Now, in the context of that, in Matthew 16, 4, Jesus said that because there were some religious leaders who did not believe in him as Messiah, so they just wanted Jesus to put on a show for them. Why don't you perform some of your miracles, Jesus? And then Jesus says there in Matthew 16, 4, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. So don't test God. However, in this story here, God is actually inviting Ahaz ask me for a sign and I'll give you one. And Ahaz says in verse 12, it's not right for me to put the Lord to the test. I will not ask for a sign. You just want to, you just want to say, oy vey, Ahaz. I mean, I mean, for goodness sakes, God is saying to you, go ahead and ask me and you won't even ask, ask, but he doesn't. So Isaiah speaks up here in verses 13 and 14. Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David, meaning meaning the royal throne of Jerusalem. So he's talking here to Ahaz in a broad sense. Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? In other words, Isaiah's like, Ahaz, you get on my nerves. You try and test me. You're going to do that to God too, really? And then Isaiah adds in verse 14, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Isaiah says to him, fine, you you don't want to ask God for a sign, even though he's invited you to ask. You don't want to see the mighty hand of God displayed in your life. Fine. You know what? God's going to show himself strong on your behalf anyway. Yeah, aren't you glad that sometimes when we, in our foolishness, refuse God's help, that he still helps us? Sometimes we don't even know that we're refusing it because we don't think sometimes to pray, but God still shows up strong. Isaiah says, you know what? Therefore, God himself will give you a sign. And the word you there, the pronoun, God will give you a sign in the Hebrew language is plural. It's plural. Okay, those of you from Philly, you'd read the verse like this. Therefore, the Lord your God will give you a sign. (laughs) Because what he's about to say here in the rest of verse 14 is not just exclusively to one man, to Ahaz. But this is a promise that is spoken to the plurality of humanity. What I'm about to tell you is a sign for all people, for you plural. And this is what he says. The Lord himself will give you a sign, and the virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. 
And Emmanuel in Hebrew means God with us. He says, this is what God is going to do for you. Now, of course, this verse was fulfilled in Christ and the circumstances related to his birth. Now, this is not just me saying it. Matthew, in his gospel, in chapter 1, quotes from Isaiah 7.14 saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. 700 years later, Jesus is born after Isaiah speaks these words. And Jesus fulfills this because Mary was a virgin and God visited her. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, he impregnated her that she might give birth to the Son of God, that God would descend to us and leave the glory of heaven and wrap himself in skin and enter our world through natural birth, but by a supernatural conception. And thus, the miracle of the virgin birth. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Now, Matthew again tells us this is a fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14, when he writes in Matthew 1, 22 and 23, that all these things related to the birth of Jesus fulfilled in Christ. Now, I want to point out to you before we carry on in our study, just by way of passing, because some of you might be familiar with some liberal Bible scholars or theologians that put a, a slant on Isaiah 14, and they, they will tell you, that the word virgin in the original Hebrew language is the word Alma, which is true, it is. And they will also say that Alma in Hebrew doesn't just mean virgin, it can also mean a young woman who's married. And that is also true. But how do we understand and how do we know for sure that Jesus was actually born of a virgin as in a woman who's never been with a man versus a young married woman. Here's how. When Matthew writes his gospel in Matthew 1, 22 and 23, Matthew's a Jew. He understands Hebrew. He knows the Hebrew language. But he writes in first century common language, which was Greek. And when Matthew translates Isaiah seven fourteen into Greek, he uses the word parthenos in the Greek for virgin. And Parthenos in the Greek means a woman who has never been with a man to distinguish from just another young woman who might be married. Now, why is this important? Here's why it's important, church. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ is an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. Why? Because God had to offer a perfect sacrifice as a substitute for us. Here we are, all sinful people, in need of a savior. Well, another sinful person can't save sinful people. You need a perfect sacrifice. You need a perfect faultless savior. So what God did was he came into the world through a natural birth, but a supernatural conception. Every single one of us receives a sin nature from the seed of our fathers. It's handed down to us. Ever since Adam sinned, the sinful nature of mankind is passed from generation to generation. You and I are born into sin. We are conceived in sin. And therefore, we do sin when we are born. It's our sin nature. God bypassed the sin nature of humanity by miraculously impregnating Mary with his own nature so that then the original sin nature was not transferred to Jesus. He would be fully human coming through a natural birth, but fully divine through a natural, a supernatural rather, conception. 
And thus Jesus is the only one who can be that sinless, perfect sacrifice to die for all of us as sinners. It's an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. So Alma, don't, don't listen to the liberal theologians about all that nonsense. Matthew knew that it's a virgin here. It's a mirac- miraculous conception. Now, if you look further into chapter 9, because my time's escaping, because I've got to wrap all this up. There's a point here. Don't fade out. There's a point here. Isaiah even then tells us the region of Messiah's ministry. This is fascinating. Chapter 9, verse 1. He says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. Zebulun and Naphtali were tribal allotments of land. And if you look at a map, Zebulun and Naphtali hug the western coast of the Sea of Galilee up in northern Israel, western coast of the Sea of Galilee, and come up above it north. When God allowed the Assyrians, as the rod of his discipline, to correct the northern territory of Israel, the Assyrians came first by attacking the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. And so God says here, in the past, God humbled them in Zebulun and Naphtali. But in the future, okay, this is prophetically talking about Christ. In the future, God will show his favor by the Galilee of the Gentiles and by the way of the sea. That's the rest of that verse. Now, here's what he means. In Isaiah's day and even in Jesus' day, there was a great population of Gentiles living in the region of the Galilee. The Assyrians came, the Romans later would come, so there was a great number of Gentiles, so it was known in those days as the Galilee of the Gentiles, but it's telling us the region of the Galilee, and then he gets specific, by the way of the sea along the Jordan, God's favor will come, and that speaks of the trade route. There's a trade route still today, but now it's paved. There's a trade route that connects Africa, hugs the coast of the Mediterranean, going north, jogs east, goes to the Sea of Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee, and then over to ancient Mesopotamia. It was called by the way of the sea. Today, when we go to Israel, we stand on that road, and it's called the Via Maris, the way of the sea. Jesus's ministry occurred in a little town of Capernaum to the northwest of the Sea of Galilee along the way of the sea. Isaiah is saying here, that Messiah's ministry will actually be located along this trade route, along the coast of the Sea of Galilee. And that's why God will then show grace to Zebulun and Naphtali, because that region will be the first to receive his ministry. Now, why did Jesus choose to have Capernaum as his home base? He's born in Bethlehem, he's raised in Nazareth, but he moves to Capernaum in the year of his ministry. For three years he lives there, because... In a time when there's no internet, there's no social media, there's no 24-hour cable news network, what's the way that you can best communicate around the known world? You situate your life along a major trade route, and that's what Jesus was doing. Isaiah saw all this. Isaiah speaks of it prophetically. Look further here in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In verse 6, where he talks about for us, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Those important words there, to be born, speaks of Jesus' humanity, born from a woman. But he is given because Jesus did not come into existence when he was born. He has always eternally existed, being God himself. So he was given to the world through this 
natural birth, but a supernatural conception. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah was a man who lived during many kings' reigns. Perhaps the most well-known king during Isaiah's time was Hezekiah. Isaiah offered counsel and wisdom God had given him, encouraging these kings to continue following God. Some of them did, and others followed their own ways or the people's ways more than God's. Isn't it easy to slip into what the world around you is doing or saying, giving into their ways and rituals? This was the case then, and it's the case now. But what we can learn from Isaiah is that God can use people to speak truth. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can speak truth to one another? Here at Cornerstone Chapel, we get together each Sunday and Wednesday to learn from the Word and spend time in worship as sons and daughters of the King. It's a powerful time for us to learn together and fellowship together. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Find service times and directions by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks so much for listening and learning in the book of Isaiah on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.